I think the best thing that you can do is to have somewhere at the very, very least, minimum bar is something on the internet where someone can go and get the you know, elevator pitch for your product and why it's compelling and leave their email. So long as you've got that pre-publication, pre-launch email list ready to start accepting people, I think you're in a good place to start promoting something. That's a low bar, it's not, right? We're not talking about something way up here. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to the Selling with Love podcast. I have a man who is a legend in the field of really understanding your customer, really building technology and companies that really help marketers, PR people, those entrepreneurs, product builders to find that customer, find that fit and really be able to serve them with more information. And for those of you who are familiar with the concepts of my book, one of the key pillars of Selling with Love is loving the client. And how do you do that? Well, by understanding them more. So Rand Fishkin is with me today. He's the co-founder and CEO of SparkToro. It's a software startup with a goal of enabling high quality audience research for all of those of you who are in marketing and as entrepreneurs. And really, we want to make sure that people don't need to go through expensive, time-consuming, inaccurate surveys, impossible to scale manual research, and really using a tool that allows you to do this efficiently and to be able to connect more with the people you want to serve by understanding them better. He was also the CEO co-founder our SEO Moz, which was all about search engine optimization. And he spent most of his career helping people do better marketing. The man has been featured in Pudget Sound Business, Journals 40, Under 40, The Next Web, Inc. 500, hundreds of other publications. Man has spoken on stages from Sydney to Revijak to Montreal, Munich, has been passionate about really helping professionals on a daily basis. And now he's got his best-selling book, Lost and Founder, where he reveals how traditional Silicon Valley wisdom leads far too many startups astray. And now I'm excited to have him on the show today. Rand, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jason. I'm really excited about this new venture, particularly where you've been finding issues in the market that people have been struggling with. And I see that you find and create software that finds this, which actually brings to the, the notion of what you seem to be doing really well, which is understanding the customer, the needs, the problems, and finding solutions for that. So I just wanna know, like from you starting businesses, do you always start with really understanding the client? Like what is the type of research that you do before you even start a business here? Ooh, I, I really like looking at incentives and models. So essentially trying to understand the field itself, where the incentives sit. I think this is one reason that I, despite having passion about politics, would never go into the field of politics because I don't think the incentives and the model and the structure are very good. Similar with, you know, heavily regulated fields like healthcare, I have passion and interest, but again, the incentives and structures are just not great. Energy, same problem. Logistics, <laughs> similar issue, especially recently. But one of the things that I love about the world of marketing is that it is open to everyone. Anyone can participate by helping people do better marketing. You, especially with, you know, relatively affordable or free tools, and advice. You help a lot of small businesses, small entrepreneurs, solo ventures. That's the people I really care about helping. Look, you know, SparkToro and Moz before it, my previous company, 
had lots of big enterprise customers, but they're not who I'm passionate about, right? You're Wells Fargo, fine. You can sign up and put in a credit card just like anybody else. But you're a solo creator on Etsy and you're starting your Shopify store and you're shipping, you know, creative food gift baskets around the U.S. Oh, my God, please, I want to help you. What can we do together? That's sort of my foci around where I choose to invest my time and, and how to build things. You know, Ryan, I love what you're saying here is like you've got this target and it really seems the way you're speaking about it, it's kind of a passion of wanting to help these people. But people can have an avatar that are different passions. Maybe somebody are like, yeah, I love to see big companies and I want to support them because they see the impact that they make. So I'd be curious to know, like, what made you so passionate about this particular market of helping those small businesses? Is there a bit of a story there? Yeah. I mean, I think I've always been someone who just loved underdogs, you know, loved little guys. I'm not anymore, but I used to be a big fan of the NFL. I used to watch a lot of football games, uh, the American Professional Football League. And inevitably, I cheered for the Green Bay Packers, right? Because they're the only team that is owned by the town. There's no billionaire behind it. There's no, you know, Lambeau Field is not sponsored by any corporate sponsor. I love that concept, right? This idea that you can have a more equal, a more, <laughs> you know, socialist, a more equitable field of people. And I, you know, I'm a capitalist. I like starting businesses. I like helping people start businesses. But what I love about capitalism is everybody getting to do what they like to do and are good at. And I think that the more that we can enable that, which means having lots more new businesses and lots more small businesses, not a few big companies that dominate every field. So, I mean, this is where SparkToro comes from too, right, Jason? Frankly, I'm sure you've seen this in marketing, right? 90% of dollars get thrown at Google and Facebook and Amazon, and let's just let them sort out the targeting. And, you know, 10 years ago, that was not a bad way to go because... Those companies, not everybody was there yet. The costs of that was not that expensive. And you could make a profit. You really could. So it made some sense. Today, every single business is competing for those eyeballs with their dollars. The incentives just don't make sense. And so SparkToro is this idea of, hey, what if we could help people find the channels and sources of influence in any field that can get them to break away from the Google, Facebook, Amazon, Triopoly, and spread their marketing dollars and efforts into places that make a real difference, that are less competitive, that can provide a competitive advantage. You know, I love what you're bringing up here because this is true. We feel like, you know, okay, I need to find an audience. Maybe I need to have a huge advertising budget, but the game has changed significantly. I mean, I spent all my time at Mindvalley. I've seen what happened to cost for ads. I started in 2013. I've seen it go all the way to 2020. And I remember even the conversations we were having with experts in the field. They were saying there's a golden opportunity right now, and it's not going to last long because big companies are going to figure out that going on Facebook, going on Google, going on Amazon is going to give them way more return on investments and they can throw in billions and then it just makes the marketplace so much more expensive. And so you've been talking about what are these new types of opportunities that people should be looking at that are beyond the advertising. Could we elaborate a bit more about what we should be paying attention to, especially if I'm a coach, solopreneur or a creator? Yeah. So I think for um, any business owner and especially small and medium business owners who essentially don't need to reach millions or hundreds of millions of people with their message, their brand, their product, your opportunity is almost certainly going to be better in a niche, an area with a source of influence 
that is small but very well targeted to exactly the audience you want to reach, then those same dollars or efforts could be spent trying to rank for a bunch of keywords in Google or trying to have the best Facebook ad or trying to you know, be the first product that comes up on Amazon. I think the big challenge is that not many people think about what are the email newsletters that my audience subscribe to? What are the podcasts that they listen to? And this is weird because we're having this meta conversation, but seriously, they don't, right? They don't go, oh yeah, I want to serve, I don't know, you know, chefs in Southern California. Guess what? There are podcasts that are very popular with chefs in Southern California. And if you can identify those and you can get you know, your friend to introduce you to the host and you can be a guest on that podcast, that is a far better marketing opportunity, far better time spent than optimizing your Google ads. Same thing is true, you know, with finding webinars or conferences and events or finding a website that reaches that audience, an email newsletter that reaches that audience and getting in front of those people. <laughs> I was talking to someone earlier about the restaurant business and mentioned that if I could choose one, right, being, you know, the restaurant that comes up first for my category in Google Maps, you know, when you search for whatever it is, Thai restaurant, Southern California, would I take that or would I take Eater's best of SoCal list and put myself in the top 10? And I would always take the Eater list. I don't know if you've tried, but whenever I go to a place, you know, I go to the Eater list and the reservations are booked at every one of those restaurants in the whatever, Eater 22 or Eater 25. And the reason is that is an editorial endorsement from a source of influence that people trust in that field. And I don't think there is a better way to do marketing than to get into those sources. We can just look at our own behavior. I mean, I've had so many times that I'm looking at Google for reviews and it doesn't seem to hit the nail on the head and like the results are good. There's some reviews, but it's not enough. Like I could say, hey, I want to have like a very fancy Thai restaurant experience. And then you're going to see a very highly rated Thai restaurant, but then it'll be like, you know, fast food or Thai express. And you're like, well, maybe not quite what I want. And there seems to be that mismatch and this kind of center of influence, trusted advisory, these places that you would go to get that information seem to be getting more and more power in the marketplace. And it almost seems like there's an influencer 2.0 going on where 1.0 was just like, hey, if you're like fancy, you got a lot of followers, we're just gonna throw money at you. But now it seems to have shifted to more specificity. Am I calling a right trend here? Yeah, so I mean, the way I think about it is, I'm not going to change people's vocabulary around influencer marketing. Like, I think that's always going to be focused on, oh, hey, there's the half naked guy on the beach who does lots of push ups and is very good looking in this classically handsome way. And like, he's going to pose with your product for $500 on Instagram. Fine. That's influencer marketing. I'm not going to change people's minds about that. But whatever you want to call marketing through your audience's sources of influence, that is what I really want to help with. Right? That is what I have personal passion and interest around. And that's where I think marketing opportunities that the best, most underinvested in, most competitive advantage building marketing opportunities exist right there. 
I love it. Now, I'd love to maybe go into a bit of a case study. I have a lot of people who are listening to this podcast might be those small business owners, usually either in the education space, whether it's personal growth, uh, coaches, consultants, there's a huge life coaching industry that's booming like crazy. And, you know, a lot of times they're trying to think like, okay, where should I find my customer? Where are they hanging out? Those are big questions that even when I consult them, I tell them, okay, you got to find out where they're hanging out. Now you can use SparkToro because I know this is a tool that actually does a lot of this, but could you walk us through what are some first things we should be thinking about to be even starting to find out, okay, where are these people hanging out? What's the thought process we're doing here? Yeah. I mean, so the first thing I would think about is product. You know, if, as you mentioned, the coaching space, life coaching space, for example, is very crowded, you need a differentiated product. Maybe you're a life coach for professional women in the Midwest of the United States. And you might say, oh, that's my target. Or no, actually, I'm a life coach for older folks near the end of their career or thinking about retirement. And that's a very underserved niche. And so that's my target audience. I'm going to go after that group of people. What are you going to do that is unique to them? What's going to serve them better than anyone else in the field? And this is where I would, quite honestly, Jason, I would focus on surveys and interviews. I would have lots of conversations with those people. Hey, what are you doing in your life? Where do you struggle? What are the challenges that you're facing? What do you listen to and read and watch and consume? Who do you trust in the field now about this? And then you assemble those answers. That can be very informal, or you can have a very structured approach. Both work fine. And then I would take that data, right? These are things these people talk about online. This is what they follow. Here's some of the websites they visit. Here's some of the social accounts that they you know, really, really like that resonate with them. And then you can plug those into you know, a tool like SparkToro, or we have a couple of folks who do similar things. There's one called helixa.ai. There's one called audience with an S. You could use SimilarWeb, right? SimilarWeb is great if you know of a website that your audience is visiting, you can plug that in for free and scroll down to the competitor section. They'll show you what else that audience visits. So there are ways to get data out of these sort of passively collected tools that get information about what people are doing on the web. And you can use that data to identify those sources of influence. So now you've got, all right, here's 20 podcasts that I want to try and get on. Here's 50 email newsletters that I want to try and get to feature me. Here's 30 people's Twitter accounts and 10 Instagram accounts and 60 LinkedIn accounts. And here's a Facebook group, whatever all those sources of influence are. And they're going to be very different across different sectors, but you've got your target list. And my suggestion is focus on that. It is free to network your way, content build your way, expert authority build your way into those groups to get featured by those people in publications. I think that's a golden ticket to a lot of that early traction that companies and startups need in the first stages. I love this advice. I advocate for the exact same. So I'm glad that we're resonating here. And it's really just doing that groundwork, going from a one-to-one first, right? Like I think an easy mistake to make, and I've done this so many times, because I remember I was in a process of finding an avatar and I just went to SparkToro first. And I actually felt like, oh, well, now I found myself going deep into doing research without really having an aim, not having a baseline. And I think that's sometimes intimidating, especially if you haven't picked an avatar yet. And it sounds to me like when you make a choice of the product and who you serve that product to, now you can actually start asking questions and really finding them on a more manual basis. But when you're ready to scale, when you're ready to really go and turbocharge your reach and really get more people that are exactly like who you want to serve, 
a tool like SparkToro seems to be the perfect thing to be able to use. And so I wanted to ask maybe a bit deeper, how would you elaborate? What is the time that you would say like, hey, now it's ready for you to use a tool like SparkToro and really be able to identify all these groups and go on the campaign? Should you have identified a few customers? Should you have served them? Should we have a certain revenue size? Do you have a parameter for that? Yeah, yeah. I'll be honest. I kind of like using the audience research process, interviews, surveys, passively collected data, tools like SparkToro. I like using it sort of in phases. So I think it can be really handy to do upfront as you are just beginning to understand a sector. It might even make you change your mind about which sector you want to serve. Maybe you have this idea like, oh yeah, I do want to serve, you know, whatever, older folks, folks who are thinking about retirement and thinking about their sort of post-retirement career projects, professional related projects, and I want to be life coaches for them. And then you go and you look and you're like, gosh, you know what? That group is just not active. Maybe it's not resonant with that generation yet. Maybe it's not something that's taking off. I don't see those people communicating about this or following anything. It's very hard to find even some. I'm changing my mind. My focus is shifting. I'm going to go after a different sector. I think that's actually a pretty smart thing to do. You might want to ready aim before you fire, <laughs> to use not my favorite analogy, but there's a lot of value after you've launched and started to earn your first customers, hopefully, probably through your network, especially in the coaching and education fields. Hopefully, you've already built a network through some of the professional things that you've done in your life. And so now you are producing content and publishing things on LinkedIn and Twitter and your blog and your email newsletter and all that sort of stuff. And you're bringing in some people. And now you want to try and identify who are those right customers? Who are the people who are sticking with you, with whom your message is really connecting and your service is proving valuable? You can even take five or six of those people and look at their job title, hashtags that they use in their content when they publish, accounts that they follow on social media, YouTube channels they subscribe to, just a few. And you can take any of those sources or traits and plug them into you know, a tool like SparkToro and get out data like, oh, okay, people who use the hashtag, I don't know, let's say wildlife photography, they follow these sources. They watch these YouTube channels. They listen to these podcasts. They subscribe to these newsletters. They visit these websites. Now you've got a whole bunch of marketing opportunities. And here's topics that they talk about. Oh, okay, I should publish more on those topics. Here's hashtags they use. Oh, I should follow those hashtags and jump into those conversations. Because you can reach more of the people who are like your target audience. <laughs> Years ago, I did consulting for Yelp when they were an early stage startup. And one of my favorite things that we did at Yelp was like, you know, Jeremy and Michael, the founders, they took San Francisco and they basically said, we are going to nail this one market, just the city of San Francisco. And then once we've got the market nailed for San Francisco and Yelp is super popular there and works really well, then we're going to go to Portland, Oregon. And once Portland and San Francisco are working well, then we're going to go to Sacramento. And now we can go to five cities next and 10 cities after that. And that model works really well when you're scaling with customer groups too. So if you are serving wildlife photographers, landscape photographers are next, right? And after that, it's portrait photographers and then wedding photographers. And then you expand outside of photographers to other kinds of creatives. You get the idea, right? You're taking one group and a system that worked really well for you to serve them with a good product, 
make them happy and delighted with it, market to them, and you're replicating again and again. I think that's the methodology I would recommend to pretty much everyone. I love this. It's something we talk a lot about is try to get really specific on who you serve so you can be the best to serve them. And I think there's this idea of scarcity when you make that choice. It's like, oh my God, if I pick wildlife photography now, I'm going to exclude a portrait photographer who comes to me. And it's like, no, 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 no. When you start opening your eyes with that level of focus, you see the scale of what exists of just that specificity. And even using the tool like SparkToro here is like, you realize like, oh my God, there's a lot of them. They're hanging out online and there are places to advocate for them. I remember I was looking at, you know, one of my favorite clients I've served was actually a beauty center CEO in Southeast Asia. So she basically was looking to promote her centers, but didn't want to use the tactics that were used in the industry, which is like using shame, guilt, and telling people like, oh my God, if you don't do this laser surgery, you know, you're going to be old, you're going to look horrible, and your husband's going to leave you. It was like manipulative, savage type of sales processes that were just not something that resonated with her values. In her case, is like, hey, everybody who walks into the center is beautiful. And if you choose to do anything, then of course, we're going to support you on your journey for self-love, etc. And this is really what she wanted to do. And I loved helping a customer like that. And I remember using a tool similar to SparkToro because I didn't know it existed before. I had to do a lot more manual research. I found something like 10 podcasts that specifically speak to entrepreneurial women in the beauty industry. And I'm like, whoa, like any niche that I pick, I can be so specific. And there's tons of resources where they hang out. And now it's not like, oh, I want to get on the Joe Rogan podcast, which, you know, pipe dream if you're just getting started and you got a lot of competition with superstars. But if I can get on this small, let's say like Seattle beauty center, entrepreneurial, like that's a place that I can initiate that conversation and get myself into this audience where they're already at, which kind of brings me into maybe outside of the core of what you do. But do you have any words of advice of what should we have prepared before we start reaching out to these people to do collaborations? Because in my case, I'm like, I have this podcast, I have a book coming up, but should we be concerned about you know, should I have my branding ready? Should I have a social media following? Like, what do you think are the minimum requirements? I think the best thing that you can do is to have somewhere at the very, very least, minimum bar is something on the internet where someone can go and get the you know, elevator pitch for your product and why it's compelling and leave their email. And you could do that before you ever launch whatever product you're thinking about launching, and you could still go promote it on podcasts and in other people's newsletters and, you know, get published on different websites and try some, you know, advertising if you want to see what are the click-through rates and conversion rates like, how many emails are you capturing, are they, you know, high quality. You can absolutely do that. I think it's actually a pretty darn good idea to start building up that excitement list before you launch. SparkToro, technically started the day after I left Moz, which was March of 2018, almost four years ago now. And we did not launch our product until May of 2020. So, you know, long time to build it. And that whole time, that whole time we were building, I was doing podcasts like yours and doing webinars and writing blog posts and tweeting and publishing to LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and all of these things with the goal of driving people essentially to the website, people who are excited about the concept, even before the product ever existed, just excited about the idea of what the product could do, driving them to the website so that when we launched, we had 15,000 people that we could email and say, hey, it's ready. 
right? We had an early access invite list and you sort of, you know, got your invite in order and all that kind of stuff. You don't have to be fancy about it, but so long as you've got that pre-publication, pre-launch email list ready to start accepting people, I think you're in a good place to start promoting something. That's a low bar, (laughs) right? We're not talking about something way up here. I'm glad you say that because I feel like we create our own barriers to even get started. And you can be stuck in that like endless research mode. And I think the tool like SparkToro is amazing, but I could also see that it could be some place that's like, oh, I'm going to keep searching, keep searching, keep searching, but not take action, uh, not go out and sell. And I just want to thank you for all the insights we've had so far. And there's a special question I want to ask in conclusion here, which is one that I love to just get an insight from whoever I interview is when you hear something like a concept selling with love, like what is your philosophy on sales? And do you feel like it's an act of love yourself? I'll be honest. I really dislike sales as far as the process of selling. But Jason, I don't know if you know this. I am a crazy fan of love, like a romantic through and through in every part of my life. And so I love this disparate connection of these two concepts that you can sell with love and that it doesn't have to be a sales focused process. Hope as folks listen to this episode, right? They don't think, oh, Rand's trying to sell me on SparkToro. I'm definitely trying to sell you on the concept of improving your business by thinking outside of the Google Facebook duopoly. But SparkToro or not, I want you to be successful. I want you to have a wonderful business. I want you to be free from, you know, your corporate overlords and the rat race and to be able to do chill work however you want to do it best, whether that's in Bali on a couch outside or in Seattle, Washington in a very cold shed wherever you are. But for me, what resonates about this idea of selling with love is that even if you take something that is not traditionally my cup of tea, you can add love to it. And now it sounds pretty good. (laughs) Well, I definitely resonate with the things that I know you probably don't like around sales. And I think there is a better way. And when we have people like you sharing tools about how to truly understand the people, do your research, be relevant. Don't just splash your message everywhere, trying to get attention from people that don't even resonate with you, but do it in a way that's more calculated, focused, and actually brings value to people and makes that impact. I think that's exactly what we need to see in the world. And you're bringing this so powerful. Rand, thank you so much for being on the show. You shared so many great insights. For people who've been tuning in, you know, we started with just really being clear on who you want to serve and what's the product you're bringing to them. The more specific you are, the more you can actually be so relevant to these people to serve them excellently. I love how Rand also talked about what is the groundwork you want to do, which is do the research, whether it's surveys, personal interviews, and go and understand truly who these people are and what are some of the key things they might have suggested that they do on their daily basis so that you can start finding more people like them. We've obviously mentioned the tool that's available by Rand, which is SparkToro, which I don't mind mentioning it because I think it's a great tool and I love advocating for it because you can use these insights you've done at the beginning stages to really take you to the next level, find more people, find more sources and be able to connect with these centers of influence where you can serve more people with what you've decided to be the best in the world at. And of course, we're seeing these trends happening where the advertising costs are going up. So this new golden opportunity is how do you get in front of the people who are in front of your people and build the connections, access them better than ever, and really go out there, serve, communicate, and do your best so people know what you offer, are able to sell it with love, of course, and using amazing tools that make your life a little easier by using a mindset that makes it much more loving, such as what we've discussed today. Rand, again, thank you so much for your time. I'm excited for your venture. I'm definitely going to be using it myself, and I know a lot of people listening will too. Thank you so much for your time. Thrilled to hear it, Jason. Take care. 
I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. 